This podcast was recorded at Redemption Alhambra Village in Phoenix, Arizona. For more information about Redemption Alhambra Village, visit redemptionaz.com. This morning, you're going to need a Bible, so if you don't have a Bible, could you just do me a favor and make sure you get one from one of our ushers. Uh, can you raise your hand real quick and make sure if you don't own one, this is our gift to you. If you do own a Bible then uh, and you just forgot to bring it today, you can still use it. Just leave it here after uh, you're done with it. Uh, but I want you to make sure you get into the book of Acts. So turn to Acts chapter 1. We're starting a new series today. And while you're turning there, I'm going to just make a few announcements. First of all, uh, if you don't know who I am, my name is Aaron Daly. I'm one of the pastors here. Uh, and, and there was a, a, a few of the pastors up here on stage. But this week, I, I, I got a couple of really great uh, joys. One was last weekend over the New Year's weekend. I got to spend time with Wayne and Rashida and my wife and myself. And we got to go away and pray together as lead pastors of the church. It was uh, an extreme blessing and so thankful for Wayne and Rashida. If you don't know them, uh, you'll see them and you'll see Wayne in just a little bit. Uh, but he is uh, one of the lead pastors here and just a huge blessing and super thankful for the time we got to have together. Then also yesterday, as uh, Wes said, we got to spend time with, uh, with all the elders in prayer. And I, I could not be more thankful for the elders of this church and thankful to be a part of them, but also I'm thankful for you. We got to pray for you and our affections for you continue to grow. We love you as pastors. We're so thankful that you are a part of this church and praying for you in this year. What would God have for us? We are his people. We get to do this life together, and we're praying, what would God have for us? And I just want you to hear from me that we love you guys big time. A couple of quick announcements that I would want for you to, to hear and, and even be a part of is that we are doing a baptism on uh, J January the 29th. If you haven't been baptized or you're wanting to be baptized, uh, make sure you sign up. We'll put the information on Facebook uh, for, for there to sign up. You have to share a short testimony and you'll be able to talk to one of the pastors. We make sure you, you know and understand which, what, 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 what is happening there. Just a conversation. But that will be on January 29th as, as Pastor uh, West, Wayne will be uh, talking about baptism that day and repent and be baptized. So it's going to be a big day for us as we enter into that Acts time. What a bet. We just we wanted to do baptisms that day instead of just talk about it. Why don't we? Why don't we see it? Amen. And so if you want to be a part of that, we would love for you. Ask questions. If you have, ask Pastor Wayne or myself if you have questions. Two more things real quick. If you're, if you're wanting to be a part of a, a men's group, we have something called Act Like Men. It's on uh, Monday nights. Uh, Dave Willis, I don't think is in here, but if you want information, let us know. Email us. Get a hold of us on Facebook, uh, and you can find out information. We'll also be announcing it, or just show up here tomorrow night. I think it's at 6.30, and uh, they go through some things together and hold each other account. There's a lot that's involved. Just ask some questions. The other thing is uh, for women, there's a night of prayer and fellowship and kind of much the same on Friday nights. Rashida, I don't know. Yeah. Miss Rashida, First Lady Rashida, uh, uh, she's running that. And, and, and if you have questions, please talk to her. Um, but those are coming up. Also, we'll have all of our announcements online. Make sure you're in your RCs. There's a lot of things taking place. Be plugged in to community. Don't just uh, kind of observe us. Because if you just watch us too closely through a, uh, through a microscope, you'll always find things uh, that uh, reasons and things by which you would just disqualify yourself and pull out. And I can't, I don't, I don't want to be a part of 
of that. But if you dive in and just love people and be a part of community, you're going to see the Spirit of God moving in your life in really fresh and, and, and real ways. So be a part of those things. All right. No better way to start the book of Acts than by standing together as we read Acts chapter 1, verses 1 through 11. We're just going to dive right in. And the reason why we stand, and I want you to remember this, is because this is God's Word. We're standing in respect and listening and hearing God's Word. In the first book, O Theopolis, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up after he had given through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he himself, you heard from me, For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when he had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? And he said to them, it is not for you to know the times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and the end of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven, as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes. And he said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. As we start this series together, it's hard for me to express how, how uh, how excited I get about these things, namely because I love God's word and because I am so thankful for how God has stacked, if you will, these sermons series on each other. Last year we went through the book of Luke and then we entered into a, a time where we, uh, uh, where we were able to kind of uh, uh, go into Advent and some different things as we went through. There were some different books that we, we faced and, and just seeing God kind of work in us and through us as we've studied these things and spent a lot of time uh, going through uh, these different books. But as we move into this book of Acts, it's interesting to me um, that we just got done with this embodiment series and all that God was speaking to us in that as to be in the church and to, uh, to living these things out, to embodying the works that God has done in us and through us and, and to live out these kinds of things and then to move into the book of Acts as we are doing what, uh, what we talked about through those embodiment things, to walk in these ways, to see how God is speaking demands something. If you believe that God is speaking like I do, it demands a a couple of things of us. One, it demands that we listen, and two, it demands that we obey. And it's always going to demand that. If we believe God is speaking, then we need to open our ears, and we need to obey that which God is speaking to us. And so as we enter into this, my prayer for us as a church is that our ears would be open and that we would be quick to obey And put into action that which God has commanded of us. This book starts out in verse 1 and it says, In the first book, O Theopolis, 
I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day in which he was taken up and given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles from whom he has chosen. What's that first book? Well, we could just look back to Luke chapter 1, and I want you to look at Luke, uh, which we spent, I think, a couple years ago now uh, studying this. Luke chapter 1. I want you to look at this writer, Luke, and I I want you to see this kind of continuation of of what he is saying in verse 1. He says in Luke 1, Inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been compiled among us, just as those who, have, who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministered of the word have delivered them to us, it seems good to me also, having followed all things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent, here's that guy again, Theopolis, that you may that that you may cert, you may have with certainty to concerning the things that have been taught. Look at how Luke writes Luke and then Acts. Okay, Luke writing the book the writing to Theopolis, and he says to Theopolis, "Here's how I've written these things, and here's how I want you to think of Theopolis. Theopolis has bank. He's he's." He's bankrolling Luke, if you will, to go and use his investigative skills to go in and to do, uh, to compile this narrative of who is this Jesus and how is this Jesus working. And so Luke is writing back to Theopolis and saying, here's what I have done. Here's what your money, here's what your, uh, your bankroll has helped me to do, to, to accomplish this task, to go and first to, to be with the eyewitnesses. And, and what he's saying is, I'm doing historical work. I'm, 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 I'm interviewing, if you will, and walking with and talking with eyewitnesses, those who knew Jesus, those who walked with Jesus, those who saw Jesus. So he is, he's taking what is handed down, what it says in verse 2, and, and he's guarding carefully this eyewitness account of this man named Jesus. Second, Luke says he's doing an orderly, that many things were undertaken to draw up things and put them in account of things. So he's, he's doing an eye, he's taking all of these eyewitness material, all these interviews, all of these people that he has talked to and then that he's walked with and lived with and that he's putting them in order, in narrative form. He's putting them and compiling all of these eyewitness stories together. And then he says that he's carefully investigating them. So not only is he just talking to a small group of eyewitnesses, which it wasn't a small group, it was multiple people. Not only is he talking to, interviewing, and kind of working through who is this Jesus and what is he doing, but he is also uh, investigating that which is they're saying about him. So he's fact-checking all of these kinds of, uh, of things that are being said. And so what this does when you look at a book like Luke or when you look at a book like Acts is it puts us in a place where we have to take a book like these and take them out of this kind of uh, fictional uh, reality or, or something where we would look at it and just kind of go, oh, those are good stories, and maybe they're fabricated and kind of you know uh, embellished and kind of put together, and, and it's just kind of this fantasy world and things that didn't actually happen, and it puts right in front of our face from the very beginning of Luke and the very beginning of Acts that the way in which these things were written were done in a very historical and a very investigative and, in very, and done in, in very careful ways 
so that these stories were told with accuracy and that these stories were told and checked and, and investigated and that these stories are compiled in such a way in which we can see and understand the things in which Jesus has done. What this does is put in right of our, front of our face. We can't put it in that category. So now we can either look at this and see these stories and go, I don't believe this, or they're just straight out lying, or I believe it. It puts it right in front of our face, that these are carefully put together, and they're composed uh, through this this man named Luke, written to this man named Theopolis so that these things could be understood. And look at what he says, that in, this first book, o the in the first book, O Theopolis, I've dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day that he was taken up and after he had given his commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles and who he'd chosen, he presented himself alive to them after his sufferings by many proofs. You see, the purpose of Acts, and what you're going to see happen as you go through a book like Acts, is that Luke is taking what has began in Jesus, so it let you just put it this way, in the Gospels or in the Gospel of Luke, Luke is saying this is what Jesus did in his earthly personal ministry, incarnation. He came into this world. God became flesh, dwelt among his people. Jesus did things and taught things. And now what Acts is, is not a book about the church or the Acts of the Apostles. The book of Acts is a continuation of the work of Jesus, just not in the incarnation of when he was personally in, in the world and incarnate, but that this resurrected ministry of Jesus by his spirit embodied by his people that the main character of this story just like the whole story the main character of Acts is, is Jesus and that this is a continuation of the ministry of Jesus that Acts is about the ministry of the resurrected Jesus Luke may be the ministry of the incarnated Jesus, the one who comes in and takes on flesh and dwells among, but that Jesus, now resurrected, what it does is, is it demands this, because many of us, if we're honest, in this room, when we read Scripture, when we study Scripture, when we interact with Scripture, we treat Jesus like a historical figure. Somebody that we look back upon, we study his life, we study his teachings, we study his works, we study his death, we look at what he's done, and we look back and we go, man, Jesus, that Jesus, he was a good guy. Rest in peace, you know. He was a good guy. He did good things. And we look at him as a historical figure and we leave him back in those times saying that is where Jesus is and that was a good guy but I can't be Jesus. And we leave Jesus in history. But the reality of what Acts does is pulls the historical Jesus into a contemporary Jesus who is alive and at work now. John Stott says it this way, this is the kind of Jesus we believe in, who is both the historical Jesus who lived, but he is also the contemporary Jesus who lives and who is alive. 
And what we are studying here is not the church. We're not studying just uh, uh, the star has not moved off Jesus and now all the apostles, they're the stars and they're the ones who we need to study. No, what we're looking at as we look through Acts is we're looking at the resurrected, alive Jesus who has imparted his spirit into his people and those people are to be that display of the resurrected Jesus that he is still alive and still at work and still doing what he did when he was on this earth. Jesus is alive. I'm going to say that again. Jesus is alive. I'm going to say a little bit more Pentecost in me. Jesus! Y'all don't get it. Y'all don't get it this morning. Somebody better help me. Wayne, where you at? Jesus! He's alive. And here's what you got to do. Thank you, thank you, thank you, BB. You helped me out. I kept trying to drag it out of you this morning. Jesus is alive. And here's, here's what you have to understand. The first few verses is Luke saying, let me just recap in four verses what I ended Luke with. And here's this reality. Let me just go historical and prove it. Jesus died and he rose again and he revealed himself with many proof at that he's, he came and hung out with his apostles and his people for about 40 days in flesh after his resurrection, talking to them about the kingdom, saying he didn't just, you don't just have disciples saying, hey, uh, Jesus rose again and, and we just know it. Well, how do you know it? Just because we know, you know, his, his kind of spirit has ascended and he's just rose again. No, no, no. They go, because we hung out with him for 40 days after his death. He talked to us. We touched him. He talked to us about the kingdom and not just his apostles. He revealed himself over and over and over and over again to many eyewitnesses. And these are the people that have been, have been hanging out with him. And this is what it says. There's much proof to the reality that this Jesus who was dead is now alive. One of the things that I think is interesting is that when we preach the gospel, we emphasize, and I won't say overemphasize because I don't think you can ever overemphasize this. We emphasize, though, the cross, the suffering and the death of Christ. We, we emphasize what he has done on the cross. And I'm going to tell you this. You can't overemphasize it. The work that Christ has done upon the cross is so dynamic and powerful and necessary that you can't have the resurrection without the death of Christ. What Christ did on the cross is powerful. But what we don't talk about enough, if you will, I think we underemphasize, and we shouldn't, is that in the preaching of the gospel, there are more than just one event. There's not just the death of Christ. There's the life, the death, and the resurrection. That when you hear the gospel being preached uh, according to Scripture, those things are going to be declared. His life, his death, and his resurrection. Those events are going to be declared. And the reason why I think now, it's not a, a lack of understanding. The reason why now I think we like to hone in onto uh, the, the death of Christ and not, un, and not emphasize his resurrection is because when we talk about his death, we get to focus on how much grace he's poured out upon us, how much 
forgiveness he's given to us, the work that he's done to pay for us and save us, the debt that has been canceled, and that we love to kind of to meditate on those things as we should. But I think what, 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 why we leave out his resurrection is because what ends up happening is now it's not just he's forgiven us of sin, now it's he's conquered sin. The resurrected Savior has conquered sin, and now he's not just Savior, he's King and Lord, seated at the right hand of the Father, and that this Jesus, who is Savior, is Lord of all, that he's conquered sin. And the reason why we want to just talk about kind of his death, his death and what that has accomplished is I think we just have this reality that the greatest gift that we can have in Christ is forgiveness. Forgive me, Lord, uh, but don't tell me what to do. Forgive me, Lord, but don't be my king. Forgive me, Lord, but don't have rule and dominion and reign over my life. Forgive me, Lord, but, but don't put yourself in a position where you've conquered and defeated. Forgive me because I'm going to do it again. I'm going to need your forgiveness again. But I'm not going to submit to you or surrender to you as the resurrected king who is seated at the right hand of the Father. And here's the thing of why we need to continue to emphasize this resurrection is because the greatest hope that we have as Christians is not just forgiveness. Although forgiveness is powerful, it's not just forgiveness. What we have is that we have this freedom that comes from surrendering our lives to his lordship, to the kingship that this king has conquered and defeated sin and that we now get to live, live under his rule and reign in his kingdom. And when we talk about Acts, what's going to be emphasized over and over and over again, which could make us uncomfortable, is the resurrection. That he is alive. It's historically proven. It's accurate. He is alive. It's been put to proof. And that this kind of reality is he is alive. And when he came, he talked to them about some very important things. So when we think of the gospel, we need to think of this whole narrative that has gone all throughout. And there is a theme that has been prophesied, that's been displayed and embodied in Christ, that has been taught throughout all of church history, and that is shown all the way to the end of Scripture, that these things that we need to hear and we need to understand that when we're going to emphasize something, we need to emphasize the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ, all as his work that he's accomplished for us. And then we also need to emphasize and see that he has promised, just as it says in Acts, that he will pour out his spirit, that the Father has promised the spirit, Jesus talked about the spirit, and the spirit is coming. He has promised his spirit. And then not only what we're going to see here is what he also emphasizes is that he's coming again. Again, those three things, the work of Christ, the coming of the Spirit, and the second coming of Christ when he comes and restores all things. And when we can see ourselves in that narrative, we can place ourselves in the proper place in the story. And that is after the coming of the Spirit, awaiting his second coming. It places us in the story. It also empowers us to live as we should live. But what did Jesus talk about when he came and hung out with his disciples for those 40 days? Well, it was pretty uh, reminiscent of what he talked about when he was on the earth. 
says that he talked a lot about the kingdom to them. You see that? Speaking about the kingdom of God. Jesus taught them a lot about the kingdom. If you look throughout his life and ministry, he was constantly referring to, like, here's the, the kingdom of God's like a seed, or the kingdom of God's like a tree, or the kingdom of God's like a farmer, or the kingdom of God is like this. And remember, when we went through the book of Luke, if you were here, we were constantly being confronted with that most of Jesus' teachings about the kingdom were constantly confronting what we thought the kingdom was. And if there's anything that's true, this is true. Jesus talks a lot about the kingdom. Two, we always misunderstand the kingdom. And we always miss it. His disciples are known throughout the books of the, throughout the, the gospels that they're constantly asking the wrong questions and saying the wrong thing and missing it because they're wanting a different kind of kingdom. And even here, in the way they ask this question, and I look at the question that the disciples ask, Lord, will you send at this time and restore, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? And then Jesus' last answer to their question is he said to them, it is not for you to know the times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria in the end of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up in the cloud and they took him. So he's saying, okay, uh, you still missed it. Uh, and here's what you need to wait for, the Spirit. And when he gets done, they're look, still like looking, not understanding, and he's just ascending. And they're like, What we see in this is Jesus teaches a lot about the kingdom and his disciples keep missing it. And I think it's funny because we look back at this and we go, how could they keep missing it? How could they keep missing it? But I hope that what we see in this is that we keep missing it. Here's where you're going to see. Uh, I like what John Calvin said when he uh, commentating on this part. He said, in this question, there are as many errors as there are words. Even in the way that this question is asked, there are as many errors as there are words. Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And here's kind of at least three of the mistakes that they're making throughout all of the Gospels and then once again in this last question. One is, and I put this word up there, one is this word powerful kingdom. Now, I chose this word powerful kingdom on purpose, not because I don't think the kingdom is not powerful, and you're going to see throughout all of Acts that the Spirit of God comes and moves in very powerful ways, but just because I think what you end up seeing throughout all of, uh, uh, of, uh, of the book of Luke and all the other Gospels, and then even in the book of Acts, and even in this question, is that the way we define power, the reason why we miss the kingdom is because we're looking for worldly power rather than the Spirit's power. I'm going to say that one more time. You can say amen. I'll give you, I'll just say amen. Amen. Uh, we're looking for worldly power rather than the Spirit's power. Now hear me on this. What they were asking for, and if you remember the study, they were believing that what, what the Messiah was going to do was going to come and restore political earthly kingdom that was making Israel a powerful nation and a righteous people where the unrighteous people would be destroyed. 
So they're thinking the Messiah is going to come, overthrow the Roman government, or overthrow these governments of the world, and establish his kingdom, this political kingdom. And because they were looking in the realm of where political power, financial power, if you will, or, 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 or this power that they believed came through the law, they would look at these things and they would say, are you going to come and do that? Are you going to restore that? Powerful. We look back and we go, man, how could they miss it? And, and I, just, I, I just want to take a minute and, and comment. I think this is why many of us in America who are a part of the evangelical political party, if you will, are freaking out at this time. It, it has nothing to do with our faith. It has everything to do with our Christianity has become political. And we are so used to being in, and I'm putting quotes carefully, a Christian nation where Christians have been in power and Christians have been the ones whose votes and, and, and positions, or this is what we believe, are the ones that are ruling and guiding our nation, that we really believe the way to bring it back into power. And when we say power, in order to make America great again, we need to go back to our Christian roots. And Christian roots means this. We have more money, we have more guns, and we can protect ourselves and kill anybody else who's coming after us. Our power is so rooted in our, our, our belief of what power is, money and politics. And, and so we believe in order for us to get back to that place, we need to return to our Christian roots so that as Christians, we can have more money, more power, more government. And what Jesus needs to come do, and the evangelicals need to rise up, and we need to get the right people in place, and we need to go back to where we have power again. And the reason why we're freaking out is because we're seeing that Christianity is starting to be pushed to the margins and it's not as popular anymore. So what we're freaking out about has nothing to do with our faith. It has everything to do with our position in this world, in a position of power or a position of margins. We freak out. And the reality of this is many of us are wanting this nation to be established and, and, and God to come and make this nation great again. Who cares about all other nations of the world? Who cares about what's happening around? But we want to make this nation great again. And what that means for us is we are the most powerful position in this world. And the problem with that is we're missing the kingdom. This is the place we find ourselves in. Wealth, politics, earthly kingdoms, the kingdoms of this world. We want to be powerful. The second thing that you see happen is not only do we want to be powerful, what ends up happening when you go after power is you make your kingdom divide along the lines of racial and cultural powers. The noun Israel showed that they, expect, they were expecting Christ's salvation to belong to one race, one culture. 
The people of Israel, they were still thinking that God was going to establish his kingdom in the old covenant as a distinct cultural nation state. That Israel was going to be placed in that position of power. And what we end up seeing here is when we make the kingdom of God about our positions in power and righteousness and law and unrighteousness and all these kinds of things, what ends up happening is we end up dividing over racial cultural lines. Acts is going to push big time against this. You literally have to rip Acts out of the book if you don't really like the fact that Christ's major work throughout the books of Acts is bringing all nations into this kingdom. And that the church's biggest wrestle throughout the book of Acts and all of the New Testament books, this burning question is, how do you take all these people who have been divided for so long and make them one? It's hard for for you to really convince someone that the gospel really, 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 really works and brings unity when the church in our nation is more divided than most other places. See, listen, I I, I look at it and people are like so shocked. They go, oh my gosh, I can't believe, man, this year, we just became more divided than we ever have become in a nation in this world. I just can't believe how divided we really are. And, 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 And mostly those are people who were in positions of power, but those who have been in positions of minorities in it, they're just going, how are you shocked? This has been our reality for all of our life. They're just going, where have you been, right? And the reality of that has been what has not shocked me is how divided America is, because even if it's a facade of unity, it's not true unity that comes only through this one. But where we have really been exposed is how divided the church is. That's where we've really been exposed. We don't live in a a nation or in a world where there's just one type of people, one nation. This is a nation made up of all kinds of nations and all kinds of peoples. And you live across the street and next door to, you work with, you go to school with, people from all tribes and all tongues and all around us. In order for us as a church in our world to be mono-whatever, mono-ethnic, one culture, one race, one color, one, one creed, one gender, whatever it is, in order for us, a young old, in order for us to do that, we have to literally huddle and get away from everybody else. We have to. So when the church is in these places where we're trying to declare a gospel that brings all people together and all we can do is gather with people who look like us, our gospel is very narrow and admittedly racist. What else? What else did they miss? They're saying at this time shows us that they did not understand that the kingdom was going to come in this very different way. It was going to come through the embodiment of Christ coming into this world, dying the death, paying the price, raising from the grave, ascending to the right hand of the Father, and that he was patiently waiting to return when the Father would send him again to make all things new. And they were thinking that all of it was going to be now instead of asking how can we faithfully live as witnesses of your kingdom. They're wanting all that will come in Christ's second coming to happen now. Which is, uh, which is much of our problems still. That instead of living faithfully amongst the already not yet or the brokenness of this world, what we are trying to do is 
have it all now. How do these kinds of kingdom mistakes affect us? When we make these kind of kingdom mistakes, instead of seeing a kingdom like a seed, instead of seeing the kingdom come small and is planted deep in our hearts and takes root and bears fruit, instead of seeing the kingdom as this gospel that brings all peoples in and that with it creates this new family, instead of being a people that are just trying to get all that is there now, what does it, what does it do? What does that do when we make these mistakes? I'll tell you three things it does. First, when you miss and you're going after worldly power, what you miss is the Spirit's power. That's what you miss. As you're after worldly power, as you're after those things that you think will bring you power, what you miss is the Spirit's power. And that's what Jesus said to them. You will receive power when my Spirit comes upon you. That the power that Jesus is going to give to us is going to be a power that comes from his spirit. That power that comes from his spirit is going to come on us. And that spirit is going to indwell us. And that spirit, that same spirit that dwelt in Christ is going to dwell in us. And that same spirit is going to take on, as you see throughout the book of Acts, the people of God living in very uh, faithful ways living amongst painful and broken times, being a witness of the kingdom, the Spirit of God doing faithful things. And that is why when we as the people of God are operating in the Spirit's power, it is, the, it is Jesus who gets the glory for it. Can you say amen to that? They will see our good works and who? They will glorify the one who gave it to the, our Father and who is in heaven. What do we miss? We miss the Spirit's power because we're after worldly power, possessions, authority. What else do we miss? We miss his people. That's why many of us make the gospel about me personally rather than about his people because it's far more narrow to just make all that Christ has done just for me. That way I don't have to be brought into the family. That way I don't have to worry about the unity and loving other people and being involved in, in, in hearing from other nations, tribes, and, and being in the church that is, is far more communal. We miss God's people. You miss his spirit and you miss his people. One of the things that I am so deeply thankful for is that as the gospel has grown deep in my heart and the work of the spirit has grown deep in my heart, I've fallen deep, more deeply in love with the people of God. And not just people who look like me. And not just people who have been raised like me. And not just people who have had the same backgrounds as me. But the people of God who have been brought in from all tribes, nations, and tongues. Who I have been able to richly grow from. And I will tell you this. The only way I've been able to see the world in the way that I've been able to see the world is because God has surrounded me with people who see the world different than me. I have had a fuller understanding of who God is and his work because of how many peoples have been placed in my life. The gospel has become so much broader and bigger as I have seen the power of his spirit and the power of being embedded in his people that all nations and tribes and tongues and men and women, Jew, Greek, young, old, rich, poor. What else do we miss? When we want everything now, we stand like the disciples in this text with our eyes gazing up to the sky 
and we miss what we're supposed to be. While they're asking about, can we have it now, what they're missing is what Jesus says is before he descends. He says, listen, the Spirit will become upon you, and you will be witnesses. You will be witnesses of this kingdom. You will be witnesses, and you will have hope. And here's what happens when the church just stands with their eyes gazed up in the clouds. They miss their purpose on this earth. They're left standing, waiting. And just like you see in this text, they're standing, they watch, their jaws are dropped, and two angels appear right next to them and go, what you looking at? <laughs> the picture to me is ironic. Because I've seen so many Christians get caught up in trying to figure out when Christ is going to return and making predictions and get into this whole thing of here's the end times and this is what it is. And he's coming on this day and he's coming on that day. And they just get wrapped up with their heads up in the cloud and they're missing that Christ has a purpose for you right now in this world. And that witness. And they don't even hear what Jesus says to them. Listen, you're asking when, are you doing it now? And he says, look, you won't know and you'll never know. Only the Father knows. But I'm going to place my spirit in you, and you are going to, until I return, I am coming again, which gives us great hope, and it places us in the story. And here's what Acts is going to do. It's going to drag you out of this reality of you looking at Jesus as a historical Jesus, and it's going to drag your heads out of the clouds where you just sit around and go, I just... I just want to gaze up. I just want to have this kind of relationship with God where I just, I just think deep and just I'm out here and I'm, I know things nobody else knows and I'm just, oh, oh. It, it drags you from historical faith to living faith and it drags you from head in the clouds faith to witness faith. You're going to struggle with acts if you like either one of those. Big time. Because here's what, here's what we need to ask as we're walking through this. One is, we see Jesus is alive and that this story is about Jesus and that he is resurrected and rose from the grave. And we see that we need to grow in our understanding of what the kingdom is. And we need to grow in our understanding of, of seeking first the kingdom, which is not the powers of this world. And it's not, uh, it's not this kind of own kind of very narrow, limited thing. It's, it's not this. It's this understanding that his kingdom is real. And it's ran by a very living and active king. And we should see that we do have power, but that this power that we have is a power that is, is confronting the powers of this world in this way. That these powers that the Spirit has are confronting the very things that, that people call power, that people uh, place in positions of power, and it puts us in a spot where we don't often find ourselves throughout history if we're really living out this kind of faith at the center of power, we often find ourselves in margins and persecuted, in suffering, 
We often find ourselves in those places, prophetically speaking, into places of power as a witness to the light, to what the true power is. And that this gospel is a gospel for all peoples. This, this gospel is taking those who were far off and what Christ has done is now he's made us all family. You're going to see all the way through the book of Acts this very prophetic community who lives as one people, as a family. You see the tensions of this. You're going to see tensions all the way through it. But you're going to see the Spirit of God faithfully working through the work of His people, His apostles, His leaders, His teachers, and the people of God as they wrestle with what does it look like as all these peoples come together. And here's what else you're going to see. You're going to see the church living on mission. You're going to see them serving, living with purpose. You're going to see them growing. You're going to see them scattering. You're going to see them facing and, and, and you're going to see the gospel penetrating very hard places and very soft soil. You're going to see the people of God being used. And, and here's what Acts is going to do. It's going to beg us to ask this question. Do you have a living, active relationship with Christ where the Spirit of God is moving in you every day? Or do you just have a historical understanding of who Jesus was? Or have you just settled your, your Christianity to just kind of getting around and gazing up into the clouds and going, oh. And all that Christ has done and all that he's accomplished and placed in you that you don't see your purpose here on this earth. That the greatest evidence that Jesus is still alive is still the same thing. He hasn't changed the plan. It's the church submitted to him as king, living out his very purposes in this world. It's going to push you out. It's going to have a faith that's living and active, and you're going to have a faith that is displaying and walking in. Let's pray for that today. Jesus, thank you for all that you've done for us and all that you're doing in us as a church. Lord, I'm asking that this year as we dive into this book together, that you would make this living and active in us, that we would be a people who would not just be missing the kingdom and pursuing worldly powers, that we would not be enamored with those things, but, Father, that you would show us what the true power of your Spirit is. Lord, that you would show us our purpose here on this earth, that we would not just be caught with our head in the clouds, but, God, that you would make us a faithful people. Lord, no matter what comes, no matter what persecutions or confrontations we have, no matter what it is, Lord, I pray that people would see. They're not perfect. They don't have everything at all. But the Spirit of God is at work doing His thing with amongst His people. It's messy, but it's God's work by His Spirit. Jesus is the star. Let us be a community centered around you, gathered together because you have brought us together, doing your work because you have work to do. In Jesus' name.
This podcast was recorded at Redemption Alhambra Village in Phoenix, Arizona. For more information about Redemption Alhambra Village, visit redemptionaz.com.